portions of scripture, first from John 13, and then from Romans. John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew, this is really important, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things, all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand What I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that if you do these, know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And into Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message writes those two verses like this. So here's what I want you to do with God helping you. Take your everyday Ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. And like the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And that is our prayer, Father, 
to develop in us well-formed maturity. I pray that in these moments that we have together, for those who are the bystanders, the lookers-in, the unconvinced, the skeptic, the hardened of heart, I know you're calling to them. And I pray in this moment they'd hear your voice, as they may have already done in this time. And I pray that for us who love you and confess you as Lord and Savior, build us up. Not to be conformed to any other way but yours. Teach us, please. Causing us to make wise, grown-up decisions. Not just impulsive, not just short-lived. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Scripture is given for our benefit, not just for the kind of theoretical observation of just understanding it and playing mind games. Scripture is given because it shows us and inspires us about what a person of faith will look like. It gives us an example of where people mess up badly and get it wrong. And says, learn from their mistakes, don't repeat it. But it also forms for us the context and the direction, the map for us as believers. Saying, in this day and age, how do we live for Jesus? And we're in our theme of our vision in the church. It's, it's up here for us. of Key descriptions of what it means to be part of Chipping Camden Baptist Church. Proclaiming Jesus to people today. How can we not do that? He's the Lord of life. Of making disciples. As the verse has told us, he is forming us. Calling us to become mature and full of faith. Conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. That we are building God's kingdom. Praying for revival. Seeking to plant new churches. And celebrating what he has done in church plants so far. And in reaching the nations. The gospel is good news for all people. This morning, I want us to think just particularly on this theme of service, that Jesus, in that moment, it's amazing, he said he knew the full extent of who he was, and where he was going, and what would happen. And he knew that all things had been given to him, amazing words, that in verse 3 of chapter 13, the Father had put all things under his power, and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. I don't know if you've seen The Lord of the Rings. Uh, we, some of us watched it, or some of you watched it, the entirety of the director's cuts, hours and hours and hours of it. Um, but there's some lovely little bits that talk about power in that bit where they put on that ring, or they, they're kind of wanting that ring, and they kind of transform even that kind of, I've forgotten her name, but the elf kind of woman, you know, the, the one that never says anything. What's she called? Those. Sorry? That's the one, Galadriel. And she kind of has this, she suddenly takes on this monstrous form and the, 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 that kind of power consumes and corrupts. Do you remember that scene? Maybe you don't. You can watch all the, the films to see that. <laughs> but Jesus, with all power and authority, all power and authority, it's beyond comprehension, is kind of with that. What does he do? He takes off his outer clothes, puts on a towel, and washes feet. I'm glad God is like this. He doesn't call down the thunderbolts and the, the lightning strikes and the chasms to open up under his enemies. Even Judas, the one who was to betray, 
He didn't smite with a word, but served by washing his feet. That's true power. Power not of corruption or of abuse, but of love. And he says, do you understand, brothers and sisters, what I've done for you? Do you understand? Paul, I think, in this passage that I've read, kind of gives us a commentary. In view of God's mercy, he urges his brothers and sisters to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. In view of, in view of, Paul says, in view of what? Well, chapter 12 has a whole 11 chapters before it, great chapters. Some describe Romans as the the kind of the pinnacle description of the gospel, the good news, and the outworking of that. It's really profound truth, wonderful stuff. But in view of all that, brothers and sisters, in view of all that, in view of all that you have come to realize the implications of the gospel, in view of because of what God has done, in view of the gospel, in view of Jesus Christ, therefore... No matter what our perspective, no matter what our belief or theology or ideology, they play a a great amount in what we now do. Do you know that? What we think, what we believe, what we understand about the life and the world and everything has a huge shaping effect upon what we do practically. Do you know that? It's not just kind of head knowledge. It works itself out. You know, you can see what's important to people by what they do. What do you base your life upon? What ideology? What thought process? In view of. In view of. Think about it. In the recent banking crisis and the run that happened in Northern Rock, what happened? Well, there was a perception or a belief that meant those who had their money invested or saved in Northern Rock felt that their assets were insecure. And in view of that, rushed to the banks and the building society to their doors and and withdrew their funds and it catalyzed that banking collapse in view of what they thought might happen. Or about the weather warnings. Got to get the weather in a sermon now, haven't we, Uh, given our current climate. The Med Office. Uh, I was at Brian's uh, on Friday and uh, we were having a barbecue with Sal and we were looking to see if the rain was coming and it was coming according to the radar. And in view of that, we were altering our behavior. If the med office pings you and says, it's going to be raining, take note, there may be a flood. In view of this, take action. And people begin moving their, their precious goods upstairs and placing sandbags outside their home to protect and stay off the water in view of, it affects what we do. But this passage isn't just speaking about things that might be, it's speaking about things that have been, realities that God has done, and this certainly should be more defining for us. It's like this, in view of the fact that you have been paid today, You know that you can go out to the shops and your credit is good or you've got cash in the cash point you can withdraw. You know that, don't you? No, no one's got any money. (laughs) (laughs) Or for instance, you know, a married couple, 
They know that they're married. It was an event, a promise, a covenant that had been made. And the, the husband or wife doesn't wake up in the morning thinking, well, those no promises have no bearing upon today. It makes no difference what happened on the anniversary of their wedding. Well, we just live life for today. Not at all. That which happened in the past has an ever-present bearing upon how we live. And Paul picks up on this theme, in view of all that God has done, and in view of all that will be, because we are certain he rose, live your life accordingly. Our behavior, or should I say our worship, our living, our heart attitudes, is worked out in our living, in our day-to-day as Eugene Peterson phrased it, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping and eating and going to work and walking around, not just the Sunday, everything. Live it in view of what God is doing. Again and again in Paul's letters, again and again in Scripture, the thrust of, of before we move on to anything of who we are and what we should therefore do is always God. The Apostle John in Revelation pictures, uh, has this vision of the great throne room of God. In the center of it is Jesus. We've sung about it. Jesus be the center. He's the center of the universe, the center of our lives, the center of this world. Everything stems from him and revolves around him. He is the Lord, not us. That again and again in Scripture, first Paul points out and said, this is the gospel. This is what Jesus has accomplished. This is what God has done on behalf of his world. And therefore, in view of this, Archbishop William Temple wrote in 1930, think of the time, again an economic crisis, pre-Second World War, post-First World War. He writes faithfully, while we deliberate, God reigns. When we decide wisely, God reigns. When we decide foolishly, God reigns. When we serve God in humble loyalty, God reigns. When we serve God self-assertively, God reigns. When we rebel and seek to withhold our service, God reigns. The Alpha and the Omega, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty, God reigns. In view of this, brothers and sisters... Rather than placing yourselves at the center of your own world, the Bible describes that as sin. Life curved in on itself. You know, rather than saying everything revolves around me, my little goddaughter Eleanor's kind of four and a half, and everything revolves around her. Walking down the street back from nursery, talking to her dad, and it's like, Edward, 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 we're talking. No, no, Edward, Edward, it kind of, it's the living in the now. Her kind of, kind of it, my life is my, is what is important. If she doesn't get the little chocolate sweet that I bought her immediately, it's tears and tantrums. That's a four-year-old, we kind of understand it, but so often for us adults, the same attitude. It's about me. And Paul says, no, shift the focus, it's about him. If we have just life curved in on itself and putting ourselves at the center, we get it so wrong. In our insane culture, insanity really is the fulfillment 
of this. Insanity sees it's ultimately that the person that is insane is so self-centered, so self-absorbed in themselves that their reality and understanding of life is totally out of kilter, totally out of touch with reality because they believe everything revolves around them. And more or less that describes people whose mind isn't and heart isn't centered upon God upon the throne. It's so often us. In our insane culture of self-centeredness, of uh, self-consumed living, of self-assertiveness, of self-aggrandizement, of self-promoting living, this focus on self ends us up living tiny, shrunken lives. Indicative in the prevalent question which everyone asks, am I happy? Am I happy? Is my marriage making me happy? Is my job making me happy? Does this church make me happy? From that little question stems this most profound question. Are you actually living for God or yourself? Do you know that you were not created for yourself, but to please and live for God? Who's on the throne in your life? In view of what do you base your life upon and your living Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne in the universe. Who is on the throne of your life and your living? Who calls the shots? Who affects your moods? Who or what has the power to cause you despair or to rejoice? Who pushes your buttons? Do you acknowledge Jesus is Lord? Live for him. In view of, Paul writes, in view of, brothers and sisters, because of this and because of his mercy. I love that phrase. The mercy of God. Something about mercy is, is this. It's, it's the basic conviction that God intends good for us. Do you know that? In view of God's mercy, he intends good for you. He does. And that he will get his way because he is on the throne. I love this. Mercy signifies that he doesn't treat us according to how we deserve. Someone smile for me. It's amazing. He doesn't treat you as you deserve. God is merciful for he is good. God is not a police officer on patrol watching over with the heavenly speed gun, snapping each and every misdemeanor and ticketing you. Nor is he ready to club us if we get out of hand or put us in jail for being an upstart. Rather, Scripture describes him like a potter working in us and through us in the clay of our lives, forming and reforming until he shapes that which we were created to be. God is good for us because he is mercy. He is merciful. In view of God's mercy, Spurgeon, in in, uh, commentating on his understanding of Christian history, he said, "The, the history of the church is studded with the remarkable conversions of people who didn't wish to be converted who were not looking for grace but were opposed to it. And yet, by the interposing arm of eternal mercy, 
was struck down and transformed into earnest and devoted followers of Jesus. That's my story, and it will be replicated again and again. If it wasn't for God's mercy, we wouldn't be here praising God, would we? And that's good news if you're a cynic or an outsider or hard-hearted or thinking, Jesus isn't for me, Christianity is just for losers. I care to disagree. God loves you. And his mercy is just overwhelming for you. And even when you set your mind and your face dead set against him, he still has mercy and still says it's not too late. He loves you and calls you. In view of God's mercy, that we live under the mercy of God, not just before we become Christians, but as Christians, thank the Lord, I need his mercy always. He doesn't treat us as aliens or outsiders or, or naughty kind of brats. He, he doesn't evaluate us according to our merits or our competency or our usefulness or our worth or whether we're young and vigorous or old and tiring. He doesn't treat us like that. He rules and guides and commands and loves us as his children whose destinies he carries close in his heart. In view of God's mercy, in view of that mercy as we look up to God in heaven. And implicit in that word mercy, doesn't expect God to just remain aloof and distant and somewhere out there, but to come close down, to enter our condition, to enter and accomplish the vast enterprise of salvation, of redemption, of transformation. You know, the root meaning of the word mercy is to do with to stoop or to be inclined towards In view of God's mercy, in view of the fact that he stoops towards us, that he's inclined in your direction, in view of the fact that he's close at hand, the God of the universe, nearby. I came across this story which illustrates it. A family is out for a drive one Sunday afternoon. It's a pleasant day and as they relax As they motor down the country road, suddenly the two children begin to beat the back of the chair. Dad, Dad, stop the car. There's a kitten back there on the side of the road. So what? We're having a drive, says Dad. But Daddy, Daddy, you must stop and pick it up. I don't have to stop and pick it up, says Dad. But Daddy, if you don't, you'll die. Well then, it will have to die. We don't have room for another animal. We've already got a zoo at the house. No more animals. Kids look at each other. We never thought our daddy would be so mean and cruel as to let a little kitten die. Finally, mum turns to the husband and says, you're going to have to stop, darling. He turns the car around, finds the spot that they'd seen, pulls up at the side of the road, stay in the car, children. I'll see about this. He goes over and picks up the little kitten who's just skin and bones, sore-eyed and full of fleas. When dad reaches down to pick it up, with his last bit of energy, the kitten bristles, baring its teeth and claws and hisses and scratches. Dad manages to pick the kitten up by its scruff of this little wretched neck, brings it to the car and says, don't touch it, children, it's diseased. But they go home, and when they get to the house, the children give the kitten several baths, not to its amusement, about a gallon of warm milk, And plead, Dad, can you let it stay here just tonight? Tomorrow we'll put it in the garage. 
father say, sure, take my bedroom, the whole house. Well, I suppose anyway, make it comfortable, fit for a king's little kitten. Several weeks pass, then one day the father walks in, feels something rub against his leg, looks down and sees the cat. He reaches down towards the cat. And when the cat sees his hands, it doesn't bear its claws or hiss. Instead, it arches its back to receive his caress. Is that the same cat? Couldn't be, could it? Not the same as that frightened, hurt, hissing kitten on the side of the road. Of course not. And you know as well as I what's made the difference. Brothers and sisters, in view of, in view of what? God's mercy, God's loving kindness, God's abundant goodness to each one of us, whether you love him or hate him, whether you care a jot for him or couldn't care less, in view of his mercy. What? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You remember at the start of the sermon, I said this is a sermon about discipleship and about service. Why has it taken me so long to get here? Because it's in view of who God is. If I said, do this, do that, this is how you're to live, we'd have missed the mark. We live our Christian life in service to him because we understand who he is. We understand his greatness and his goodness, his mercy towards us. And the light of all that then flows. Living and service. But it has to be there. James, writing uh, to the church in his epistle, his letter, says, if, if you say you've got love but haven't, and faith and you haven't got any works or deeds to back it up, I'd question into account, I'd question whether this is true faith. Because faith always connects with deeds. Faith always works itself out. When Jesus is challenged, you know, who's, who's my neighbor? He says, he tells the story of the good Samaritan. In other words, he said, love works itself out. Love gets itself expressed practically, doesn't it? That's service. Jesus, with all authority and power that God the Father has given him, takes off his outer garments, wraps a towel and washes feet. And says, do you understand what I've done for you? And then says... You know, you call me master and Lord, and that is correct. That's a profound statement of theology of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That Jesus says, yes, you worship me. You call me Lord, rightly so. But no student is above the master. You call me teacher. Now live and teach these ways. In view of God's mercy, we offer our life, our living, our ordinary life in acts of service. You know, ministry is a parallel equivalent word to service. It's just from a different root. Service begins with an upward look to God, that God is over us, that he is above us. And in light of that, we serve. Mother Teresa was asked by a young man while she always talked about this Jesus stuff, whilst caring for the desperate and the dying. He said he was going to work among the poor like her, doing good works of charity, but without all this Jesus baggage. And Mother Teresa responded something like this to him. Go and work 20 years or a lifetime among the poorest of the poor. Then come back and tell me how you did it. I know that the only way I've been able to do it is because of Jesus. 
Her faith, her understanding of Jesus gave her the ability to be a doer. A doer not just for a week or a season or a year, but for a lifetime. Service begins with an upward look at God. That God is over us, that he is above us. A person of faith looks up to God, not down on him or at him. The servant, the follower, assumes this posture of Christ-likeness, a certain stance, if you will. We're called to be servants, to serve. It's not that Christians are the only ones who serve in this world or are kind and generous. But I love the fact that we see the presence of God in his community. Research has shown that 81% of evangelical Christians in the UK do voluntary work at least once a month. 81% compared with 26% of the population at large. Jesus makes a difference. Roy Hattersley, an atheist, commentating on, on the response of people for Hurricane Katrina, said this, I don't believe in Jesus, but I see Jesus making a difference. Because if I had all the volunteers who moved themselves to care for the homeless and the desperate after that flood and catastrophe, again and again it was Christians. And he was writing with a view to those who would class themselves as atheists and saying, why do we not do likewise? suggests it's because we have in view God's mercy and we offer ourselves. Martin Luther King said, everyone can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to have your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato or Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve, or should I add, the Higgs boson theories to serve. You don't have to know the second law of thermodynamics in physics to serve. You need only a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Offer your bodies, your living, your day by day in service. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's a bit mundane, isn't it? But it's the glory of God. It's not writing a book of great theology, but it witnesses and testifies to Jesus so clearly and profoundly. Because for the ordinary person looking on, why are you living like this? And our answer, in view of God's mercy. Someone was asked, who captured this and understood this, and just giving his life away to God and serving. Someone asked him, if he's spending too much time serving and giving away too much, you know, it's, you know, do a little bit, but not, don't get a bit over the top with this business. And his gentle but honest response was this. I wonder if we'll say that after we're dead. Friends, we need to stop living selfish lives, forgetful of our God. 
Our lives here are short, often unexpectedly so. And we can all stand to be reminded of what it is from time to time. Nothing matters except our King and our God. Don't let yourself forget. Soak in it and keep remembering that it's true. He is everything in view of God's mercy, of your living, your bodies, everything that you have. a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your act of spiritual worship. So here's what I want you to do, says Paul. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping and eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Remember the one who took a towel and washed feet. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognizing what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. And like the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Amen. Dunk, let's respond.